3: Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It is a Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life or in the world that we live in. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically it's 6305757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, Tuesday, we get right to the questions. I've got a couple questions that are interesting. The first one comes from... Uh, Ariana from our mobile app, she says, why do you think so many pastors grow a bad attitude in ministry? Now, we don't have anybody in the line, so I might take a few minutes with this one. Uh, Ariana, I think it is an important question, uh, but we also don't want to be too broad in our generalizations. Um, uh, And nothing that I'm going to say here is self-serving. It's just the reality. Being a pastor can be really hard. Pastors work really hard. They've got visions of wanting to to be a blessing to people, wanting to teach the word. And the reality is in most churches, I said earlier, or late last week, rather, that the average church in the United States is well under 100 people. And we live in a time where we're fixated on size. And so it makes pastors feel like a failure. You know, we got people in our congregations that are going on YouTube and they're listening to these famous pastors with these huge churches and comparing the pastor in their church to that guy. And it's really frustrating. It really is frustrating. Um, And sometimes pastors grow weary. Other times um, they start out well uh, and they get impatient. They start making some bad choices. They start chasing being able to please the people because they want more people and and of course then um, you, you put so much pressure on yourself because you got to come up with something new every single week so uh, that's another reason uh, it is a sometimes, Now, I'm excluding me from this because this is never the case, uh, has never been the case for me. Uh, Sometimes it's thankless. You know, when we go to pastors' conferences, a lot of times the pastors, and you can see who they are, they're hurting and they're broken. They're, They're grumbling under their breath about the people. The people don't appreciate this. The people don't appreciate that. And that gets really, really tiring. And then we pastors leave openings for the devil. And that's when he'll come in and start to jump with both feet and pound us into submission. He wants us to quit. So, Arianna, I think there's a lot of reasons. But here's, I think, the most important thing I'm going to say regarding this. When a pastor, for whatever reason, blaming the people in the congregation, not enough people are coming. I think when we start to get a bad attitude or when we get just a little bit too focused on on ourselves, I think it demonstrates who we were really serving all the time. Uh, if you're serving the Lord, it doesn't matter whether one person shows up or a thousand people show up. Uh, I, I think we all learned a great lesson during the pandemic. You know, I I was preaching and we had eight people besides me in the sanctuary. You know, somebody to run the the sound equipment, somebody to run the the uh, audio equipment or the video equipment rather, and then uh, worship guys and and announcer and Paula was always there. And you know, you you realize that you're preaching to empty seats. And yet with just eight people listening to me teach, I wanted to be the same pastor, the same teacher that I was if the place was absolutely full, all three services. Ariana, we all find out eventually. We all get tested, and we all find out eventually who it is we're serving. And when we develop a bad attitude or when we feel like quitting, um, then we find out that the one we were really serving all along was not Jesus in fact at all. We were serving ourselves. And I think that's the real reason. So I think there are other reasons. Um now having said that I'll say one other thing, Ariana. Um I know a lot of pastors and they're serving God with all of their hearts. They're trying to do the very best that they can, and they really do want to please the Lord. So we have to be careful of painting with too broad a brush. Hope that makes sense. Thank you, Ariana. Appreciate the question. Here's a question from Gus. He says, Pastor, a church I just visited and was thinking of joining says the pastor there is also an apostle. Is that a red flag? Gus, it's a terrible red flag. Yes, there are no apostles. And when a pastor says, yes, I'm a pastor and an apostle, it really demonstrates a a complete lack of understanding about what the Bible teaches. I would not be comfortable um with with any doctrine that would come from that pulpit that doesn't mean he's wrong on everything but but it means that he has a real lazy approach to understanding the scriptures and uh there there are no apostles so that Ephesians chapter 2 makes that very clear along with prophets by the way and you can go into a lot of churches and you'll be told that there are prophets um but those are churches that really aren't serious Uh, about rightly dividing the word of God. So, uh, yeah, I would say, Gus, that that is a serious red flag and I don't think that there's going to be a lot of faithful Bible teaching. Let me repeat very clearly, there are no apostles and there are no prophets today in the same sense that there were in the Old Testament or even the New Testament times. Uh, There's a gift of prophecy, uh, but but the apostles are done. Uh, There's... 12 lesser thrones in the book of Revelation, and the apostles are going to be on those thrones, uh, but, but there's no other apostles. When, when men take that title upon themselves, um, well, they're taking on too much. Not granted by God, not called by God, but they sort of call themselves. Thank you for the question. I'm not sure what this question means. It comes anonymous. Uh, what does the Joe Biden press conference say about our leaders in relation to biblical standards? Now, Anonymous, when I said that, I don't, I'm not sure what you mean about the press conference speaking of leaders, uh, the only thing I can think that you mean is that I often say that the Bible teaches that uh, people get the leaders they want, the leaders they deserve. You know, when when Israel turned away from God and decided they wanted a, a king like every other country, uh, God told them, don't do it. Samuel was God's instrument. But but don't do it And explained all the things that were going to happen. And they said, we know you're right, but we still want a king like all the other nations. And if you go through the history of the kings the northern kingdom, all of the kings were bad. If you go in the south, uh, 20 percent of them were good. So 80 percent of them were bad. And what you find if you look historically is that the people got the kings they deserved when they were following God. God blessed them. They had a good king. Uh, when the people were not being obedient, um, they they had a king that didn't follow God, and, and things turned out poorly. Uh, and I think, uh, Anonymous, we're in that place now. I, I think we look at the leaders that we've been given. We look at the choices that we've been given in an upcoming election that everybody's focused on now. And I think it doesn't speak very well for the United States of America. I think we're getting the leaders we deserve. Regarding the Joe Biden press conference, let me say this. Uh, I think what's happening to Joe Biden borders on, if not already crossing that line, of elder abuse. This is a man who is being taken advantage of. Now, I'm sure he's a willing participant. But the reality is is, is uh, he has no business in that position no business whatsoever. Everybody can see it. And yet they keep trotting him out there. That press conference was the worst, most catastrophic press conference I've ever seen. I've lived a long time. Uh, the worst press conference I've ever seen a president or a presidential candidate, even. Um, take part in. It was just cruelty. It was agonizing. And the only thing that, from my perspective, was worse is that so many people who call themselves Christians were delighting in that instead of just praying for him. That's our responsibility as Christians. But I think if I understand your question correctly, I think you can look around at the people in the United States of America, the things that we participate in, the things that we approve of, how far we've turned away from God, I think we get what we deserve. So if that doesn't answer your question, Anonymous, you're going to have to write back with a little bit more specific information. Thank you for your interest. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, And by the way, uh, uh, we'd love your calls and comments on any things that we're talking about. Here's another anonymous one. Oh, and he's not going to like my answer. He, uh, he, maybe it could be a she, possibly, but I'm in a season of waiting on the Lord for a direction in my life. Any suggestions for me? Uh, yeah, Anonymous, and, and when I said you're not going to like what I'm going to say, I, there, there's no biblical warrant for a season of waiting on the Lord. None whatsoever. So here's my suggestion serve. Wherever you call church, serve. God doesn't call us to a life of inactivity. That is completely man-made. It, 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 it sounds spiritual. It appeals to our emotions. But the reality is, is God says, I'm coming soon. And we need to be good stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so there's no waiting on the Lord. You know, it's not like you're going to wait on the Lord. You're going to sit and wait, and God's going to deliver you a a message. It says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go here, do this. That's not what's going to happen. God is going to meet you while you're moving. Stationary targets, the only encounter they have is with the enemy of their soul. God meets us while we're moving. And if we're not serving God's people, if we're not using the gifts that God has given us, well, then, in fact, uh, nothing productive is going to happen at all. So this spiritual sounding, well, I'm in a season of waiting. It sounds so spiritual. But the reality is it's nothing but spiritual laziness. Now, I don't know you. Don't take this personal. But God would never call anyone to a season of waiting on the Lord. What we do, and I hear this all the time, well, Pastor, I was at another church and they just burned me out, so I'm just going to just gonna relax. I'm going to just get fed and, and wait for the Lord to give me some direction. Every day we have the same direction. God says, serve him. Serve the people that I love. Let the power of the Spirit flow through you to others. And that's when you're going to find the energy that you want, when, when you're going to be reinvigorated when ministry is going to be exciting and thrilling, and when your relationship with Jesus is vibrant. But no waiting on the Lord. There's simply nothing good that happens when people are doing nothing. Uh, I know I said this, but I'm going to say it again. That is just so human nature-ish of us. Because I want to be lazy. I'm going to justify it spiritually. There's no such thing as a season of waiting on the Lord now we can wait on the Lord for directions but we do that while we're serving and remember when you're walking with the Lord he's always moving if you sit still in one place the distance between you and Jesus is going to get so far that you barely be able to hear as he's calling you come with me he said my sheep know my voice I call them by name and they follow me Anonymous, that's what we're to do. We're to follow Jesus every day. And there's just no possible circumstance where Jesus is going to say to anybody in these last days, just sit still and do nothing. The parable of the talents. I knew you are a hard master, so I buried mine in the ground. We're bearing our gifts if we're bearing our time. We're the wicked, lazy servants. So get busy. Serve the Lord. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, I I get a lot of criticism when I say that. People say, well, you don't understand how hard things are for me. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. God wants you to use your gifts to serve Him. Okay, we've got... Ruben on line one. Ruben, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
2: God bless you, Pastor Ron. You know you speak to me even when you are, you are not speaking to me. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm just, I'm it's listening. good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I'm listening to what you were telling Anonymous, and I'm just like, man, he's talking to me. Move, Ruben, move. Don't sit there. Move. You got to move. God called you to do this. He called you to minister. So move, but praise God. Um, I, I just I just wanted to, just two things quick, quickly. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody to pr- that prayed for me. Um, today is my dad's birthday, and oh my it hurt. Yeah. yeah. It hurt, but I'm rejoicing because I know he's in heaven, and I know that he's just, he's got a, I can only imagine what they're doing. But, uh, you know, I just thank God. I thank God that today, I mean, it started off bad, but I, I just thank God that He gave yeah. me the strength to to go but on.
3: Before you go to the second thing, can I can I just share one thing with you? Um, we yes, have a yes. uh, one of my, one of my pastors' wives uh, in church. She lost her father um, this oh. week, and uh, she oh, couldn't keep man. from crying. She was in church and and. Um, Uh, I I looked at her and I said and and see this was a a dad who wasn't really active in her life it was a very difficult life she's been saved and and, uh, and and god's blessed her abundantly but one of the things that she was able to do was lead him in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ a couple of months ago Praise God. and she got to Praise serve God. him as he was in hospice care at her house and 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 uh, i looked at her and i said just think because of you and because of your faithfulness because of your willingness to forgive all the things that he he was responsible for imagine what he's doing right this moment <laughs> looking at jesus oh yes and, and that's
2: the same yes. thing for your dad too so yes oh i pray that god just gives her the strength to go get through this especially i, I know the feeling i did hospice with my dad as you know Yeah. so i mean if she's listening uh i just want to tell her that yeah it's going to be difficult but she did the greatest thing by leading them to christ and you're right can only imagine what my dad and her dad are doing you know, uh, right now in front of Jesus. And I, I just can't imagine, but it's great. But yeah, let me let me hurry up because I can go on and on and on. I, I don't know if I've asked you this before, and forgive me if I have, um, but uh, does the Bible reference at all the Star of David? And if it doesn't, um, what significance, or if any, does it hold? Because uh, I see Israel's flag, and they have the Star of David. Um, like, what significance is it, and why did they bring it out?
3: Yeah, there's no real significance as it applies to us today, and there's no biblical reference to the symbol of the Star of David. It is a it is a, a, a symbol of um, Zionism, of uh, Israel's nationalism. That's what Zionism is. And uh, the the unbelieving Jewish world, you know, they've been looking for um, David to return, and, and I don't mean that in a physical sense, but uh, the son of David, uh, their Christ, their Messiah to to come. So, um, really. Uh, there's no biblical reference at all to the Star of David. It's just a national symbol. Um, It would be like saying to us, well, what's the significance of the eagle being the national symbol of the United States? There's no real significance at all. It's just that's what was adopted. So beyond that, there is no uh, value at all. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be Israeli flags with the Star of David on them, and we're not going to have our Star of David necklaces and those kind of things. Uh, it's simply a, a symbol of Jewish Zionism, and and uh, that's that's the only value. Thank you, Ruben. Appreciate it very very much, and good to hear the joy in your voice again. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Can I add one more thing to the anonymous question about taking a season of rest? Let me suggest a study. And if you've got Bible study programs, it's easy to do. Just go to a concordance and um, uh, put in the words uh, using in the King James or the New King James along the way, or as they were walking. Those kind of of, of phrases. And you're going to see the people that Jesus met. You're going to see the people that God met in the Old Testament and the people that Jesus met uh, uh, in the New Testament as they were walking. Again, I want to emphasize, nobody gets met by the Lord uh, when they're sitting still. There's just no way to do it. In fact, um, this warning is against being spiritually slothful, and that's exactly what it is. Here's a question from Philip. May I have your opinion, please? No, before Philip's question, I got Cindy on line one. So instead of keeping her holding over the break, let's go. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Oh, um, hi, Ron. Hi, Cindy. I have a question about the, the way to, when we're praying, should it just be to the Father? Because I hear so many people praying to um, the Lord and the Holy Spirit and
3: all. And I don't know if that's scriptural. Yeah. Um, Cindy, a couple of things. One, we, we need to understand, we, we, we approach prayer uh, from a human perspective. And it's like, well, I got to be able to pray to the right person. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God manifest in three persons. So it doesn't really matter what name we use. We're praying to God. They're all fully God. We're not ignoring the other two. And there isn't a situation in heaven where the Father's saying, well, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, why are they praying to you? Now, the reason we do that is because Jesus said to his disciples, now remember, he's getting ready to die. He says, up to now, you've not asked for anything in my name. And as I go to the Father, you can ask in my name, and whatever you ask will be given to you. And so what we do, unfortunately, is we use in Jesus' name is sort of uh, like a lucky rabbit's foot. It's like the way we, we sign off on our prayers to the Lord. Now, most people's heart is right, but they don't understand what praying in Jesus' name meant it meant praying because he opened the door. He provided access to us. And he's that's the only way. He's the only way that we have access to the Father in heaven at all. So uh, the, the answer to your question is it doesn't matter. Uh, I believe personally that it is best always to talk with Jesus. Um, again, the Father's feelings aren't hurt. The Holy Spirit's feelings aren't hurt. Uh, I, I make that statement because the Father sent Jesus to reveal him. We have, naturally, a hard time uh, imagining the Father. The Father is spirit. We, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know how to relate to it. We, we know that the Father is holy. He lives in unapproachable light. And so we kind of back off from that, and it gets a little bit impersonal. Well, Jesus revealed him. Jesus could be touched. He could be listened to. Uh, they, they would eat with him. And Jesus made the Father real. And then we worry about the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit because his job, since Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit's job is to testify of Jesus. So uh, I think, Cindy, the best way to pray is just to talk to Jesus. And when you're talking to Jesus, John says in 1 John, if you have the Son, you have the Father. If you're talking to Jesus, you are in the the heavenlies, you're at the throne of grace, uh, and your prayers are going to be heard and answered. So, um, again, there's no competition between Father, Son, and Spirit. So, pray as led by the Spirit, Just personally, I believe it's always better and very, very much more personal to pray to Jesus himself. So I think that's the answer to your question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Hey, we're inside of one minute for this half of the show. Um, Remember, if you've got questions or calls, we'd love to have them. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I've got an interesting question from Philip. I don't think I can get to it before the music starts, so um, whatever's on your heart, uh, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. That's it, 30 minutes down, 30 minutes to go. We'd love your calls and comments. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I don't know why, but it seems like to me I've said the phone number 55 times today, so I apologize if I'm getting irritating. Here's the question from Philip. He said, Pastor Ron, may I have your opinion, please, on the wisdom of long engagements? Philip, I don't think it's wise. That's just my opinion, and that's what you asked for. So that's all I'll give. There's no biblical directive about how long we should be engaged. Uh, I don't think there's any rules that we should go by. But one of the problems I've seen with people in long engagements, the longer they're hanging out together... The more personally familiar with one another they get, the more physical they get in the relationship, and the more difficult it is to resist the temptation to have sex. So I'm just I'm not a guy that always or or that really ever um, uh, endorses long engagements. I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling and we tell people, look, if you've decided that this is what you're going to do, you know, this is what the Lord wants then protect yourselves, protect your walk with the Lord and the integrity of that walk. And uh, I just think you know what you can stand. So short is better than long term. And, you know, praise the Lord, Philip. I've had a lot of couples who were going to get married two years down the road and, and and their timetable got moved up. That's one of the advantages, by the way, of premarriage counseling. Uh, God will address all of those issues because he knows exactly what's best for you. But I just think uh, if we give the enemy an opportunity um, to, um, to tempt us with lust, uh, I, just, I by the time you get married, you ought to really be ready. And the physical part of the marriage is so important. And, and if you just wait and wait and wait and wait, I've just seen too many couples end up spoiling it because they fell into the trap of that temptation. So that's my opinion. Philip, my opinion is probably no better than anybody else's. Thank you very much for the question. Vince says, oh, this is interesting. A friend who visited your church told me that your church is way too much Bible and not enough of the Holy Spirit. How would you respond? I would say, Vince, your friend wasn't looking around when he or she was there. Um, You walk into Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, you see nothing but spirit. Now, what he meant was there's no craziness, nobody running around, falling down on the floor, nobody speaking in tongues out loud all at the same time. Um, He's right or she's right about that. We don't do those kind of things. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Churches are to be uh, orderly in their worship. And the reality is when you go into churches where all of that crazy charismatic stuff is happening, um, that's not the Holy Spirit at all. That's a spirit of flesh or the spirit of the world or even the spirit of the enemy. But it's not the Holy Spirit. What somebody would see when they come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, they would see people laughing, loving one another, praying for one another Uh, you'd see people um, uh, ministering face to face individual with people all day long Uh, you'd see people responding to the word of God um, people coming forward to get saved, people coming forward to get right with the Lord Uh, that's what church is for so uh, if again what he means is um, you know there's 40 minutes of Bible teaching Um, Instead of uh, letting us speak in tongues and do all these crazy things, Um, your friend is right. We don't do that. But that's not the Holy Spirit at all. Thank you, Vince. Let's go to James from Belmont. Good to hear from you, James. You are on the air. Well, yes, sir. Uh, Thanks for
4: taking my call. I I was... Listening to a little bit of the theme work that was kind of uh, going uh, going on, and and I guess there's two things. I guess one is I just wanted to kind of make a statement, and the other one was a bit more of a question. Historically,
2: okay.
4: uh, as far as the statement goes, uh, I, I you know I'm an older guy, and so you know I grew up during the '60s and '70s, and and um, in my prayers, I would always just kind of ask God because I was really confused about uh what my job was you know in the will of god and so i would you know just in my own prayers uh in the quiet of the morning or the evening i would just ask god you know to flash his light honk his horn or wave at me if if i'm supposed to do something and uh that didn't really get me very far and then (laughs) one day i heard (laughs) yeah one day i heard um a preacher speaking about the the raising of Lazarus and he made a comment that kind of came out to me he said that that Jesus asked uh, the family to have the stone move and then Jesus was the one of course that revived Lazarus but the point there being was just that um, God is asking for us to do those things that we can do we can move that stone uh, we couldn't revive Lazarus and so through our, our days of coming and going we're supposed to do those things that we can and then pray to God uh, for him to do those things that only he can do and I guess this runs into an understanding of where it says you know go uh, at the end of Matthew uh, go and essentially uh, I wish I had my Bible with me go and, and spread the gospel and make apostles um, uh, of, uh, of, other, of other folks. And so that word go always to me, growing up in the 60s and 70s, meant that I was probably like supposed to go to Africa or something. Yeah. But then later, somebody told me to look up the Greek word for go. And even though my grandmother was like an English teacher, I cannot tell you the proper presentation of that word, but it's like a continuous movement. And so it's more instead of just a command to go it's more like as you go and i guess so one of my questions is is that more of a of a true or a good interpretation of that word go that as you go you know spread the word um otherwise I'm waiting for a command, you know, to go. And yeah. then uh, the, the, the last one, which was really my, uh, my question, the first part was all just from your prior discussion, but the last part, you know, whenever they talk about baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, was that something that was only found in later translations uh, and uh, the earlier transcripts, does that include that or is that something that, that might have been added, say, in the 150-300 AD?
3: Yeah, no, James, that, that was not added later. Again, I, I answer this question often, and I'm going to deal with the second thing before the first, because I think the first is much more interesting. Um, the, 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 the Bibles, the translations that we have, whether it's included or not is dependent upon which manuscript that they're or set of manuscripts that they're, um, tra- uh, translating the Alexandrian manuscripts, which are the oldest and the newer versions of our Bible, the NASB, the NIV, um, the living Bible and some others, they're translating the, the Alexandrian manuscripts. Um, they, some of them don't include those things, Um, And uh, in the uh, uh, majority manuscripts, the Texas Receptus, uh, King James and the New King James, they are included. So when a translator looks at that, they've got to decide, well, it's in one manuscript, but not the other. And then the question is, well, does it belong there? And the, the, the answer is, if it doesn't do any damage to the text, it belongs there. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. You used the word apostles. I knew what you meant. But go into the world and make um, disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I command them to, to do. Uh, and one of those things was, was baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And our Bibles have that coming right out of the mouth of Jesus himself. So when people start uh, arguing about, well, should we be baptized only in Jesus' name? Or no, just do what Jesus told you to do. When you are baptizing people or being baptized, the baptism is in the name of our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' baptism by John, although it was a baptism of repentance and Jesus hadn't sinned, so he didn't need to repent, he was identifying, James, with you and me. And when that's the case... Um, uh, he was giving us a model. And in his baptism, we have all three persons of the Godhead uh, up front and center, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that same scene. So we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, again, the baptism doesn't save anybody. The baptism is a result of being saved. Now, let me talk about the first thing, because I love... Um, your, your line of thought on on going and uh, your example of using Lazarus. You know the question that we had that kind of sparked uh, what Reuben said and what you uh, what you've noticed here is uh, the, the the man who said he was in a season of waiting. And um, no, Jesus said to go, and go means go. And in the Greek, it's not a different word. It's just one of the reasons the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek is because the language is more expressive than any other. And it's in the continuous present tense in the Greek, which means. Go and keep on going. And we, we could add, never stop going. When Paul says to pray without ceasing, continuous present tense, always be in an attitude of prayer. Well, we're supposed to go. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be called to be a missionary to a foreign country, but it means that we got to get up every day and go, and we do what God told us to do. And your example of Lazarus was brilliant because, you know, one of the things, when they, they had to move the stone, if they didn't, Lazarus couldn't have come out. Uh, They'd overcome unbelief. They also had to overcome the stench. By now, Lord, he stinketh in the King James. Um, But when Jesus called Lazarus come out, you remember that he came out wrapped in grave clothes. It'd be like he was wrapped like a mummy. And uh, the odor would would precede him. And as he came out, he'd have to come out kind of hopping because his feet would be tied together in that mummy type of of wrapping. Uh, And Jesus looked at the people and said, Take off the grave clothes. Take off his grave clothes. And they had the opportunity to serve. They'd take off the grave clothes. And that's what set Lazarus free. And one of the sets of grave clothes that I talk about sometimes in a message that I do called grave clothes is um, talking about procrastination. Procrastination is one of our enemies. We think we have time. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And and we look around the world that we live in. He tells us to be sensitive to the signs around us, the signs of the times, we look around at the world that we live in and we think, my goodness, Lord, you can't be much longer. And so what we got to do is we got to remove our grave clothes so we can get busy serving the Lord. And it's very important um, 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 as they were moving or as they went along or as they were walking, those are the times when Jesus met people. It's important that we remember that. James, great question. Thank you very, very much. Here's an um, interesting, not a a happy question, but it's from Samuel. He says, why does God demand worship from us if he's not being selfish? Um, Samuel, God certainly can't be selfish. Uh, God is perfect. He's holy. Uh, God demonstrated how unselfish he was by sending his son to die for the sins of people like you and me. So God isn't being selfish at all. The reason he demands worship is because God knows our human nature is such that we become like whatever it is we worship. If we worship money, then our hearts become cold and hard. If we worship success, we're, we're ego-driven. Our pride is out of control. We want people to acknowledge that we have value, uh, and then we become a man-pleaser. So from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, whatever we worship, we become like that. And the reason God is so jealous, not jealous of us, but jealous for us, he demands worship because he wants us to become more like him. And so we worship him, and perhaps the most unselfish thing that God can do is receive our worship Because he knows so often that we're worshiping hypocritically. We're worshiping when we're not doing what he's told us to do. And um, again, he's not being selfish at all. He's jealous for us. And he wants us to enjoy the best that he has. You know, Samuel, one of the questions that I love in our Bible so much, after Genesis 32, when... um, um, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter thirty-two, when um, um, the people are worshiping the golden calf, and uh, Moses has to go back up and get more uh, two more tablets of the of the of the of the law, the Ten Commandments. Um, Moses watches how God deals with all of that, and then in chapter thirty-three, Moses said to the Lord. This is a question, not a demand. He said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That demonstrates how much Moses was worshiping. Lord, show me your glory. And of course, God couldn't. He would have died, so he just tucked him in a cave and let the backside or the afterglow of his glory passed by. But that comes from worshiping. And as we worship the Lord. Now, let me let me make a comment here, Samuel. When we think of worship in our church culture, we think of music. I don't want you to think about that worship that way. In the Old Testament, every time worship is mentioned, something dies. So we worship God. Now, it's okay. It's wonderful to worship him in song. Don't misunderstand. But real worship is denying self. Jesus said to be my disciple, you must... Pick up your cross every day that's dying to yourself. Deny yourself and follow me. That's what real worship is. We can have the best musicians. We can have great voice. We can be moved emotionally by music. But the reality is, if we're not denying ourselves and following Jesus, we're not worshiping no matter what the sound that we make with our mouths or our musical instruments might be. So that's why God demands worship, because he knows that as we worship him, we become more like him. And as we become more like him, then God is going to be able to use us to do better things. But remember, God is jealous, not jealous of you, but jealous for you. So I hope that makes sense to you. This is from Chico. Has to run what happens to an adult who never hears about Jesus. Well, Chico Romans 1 talks about how God has revealed himself. The Psalms also mention that creation reveals the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Um, There's no language or nation where they're not understood. So God talks about his witness to the world in creation. He also talks in Romans chapter 1 about his witness to the world in conscience. So, Uh, The reality is that there is no adult ever anywhere, even in the most remote locations. There's no adult who is shut off from the presence of God because they've never heard the name Jesus of Nazareth. God will reveal himself to any and everyone who is seeking him. Now imagine somebody who lives in some Ecuadorian jungle and he gets up every morning and he sees the sun rise in the east time for the sun to set he turns the other direction and sees that the sun sets in the west Uh, every winter it gets cold every uh, um, um, summer it gets hot and he sees these patterns and when they start and and, you know uh, people have been worshipping the sun, the moon the stars forever God is simply saying when you see those things find out who I am And there's no possibility that God won't reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody who seeks him. Our New Testament says that uh, he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. That earnest heart, even if he never hears the name of Jesus, God is going to reveal himself to that person, and that revelation is ultimately going to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. We think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He came to worship God. God met him. We think about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Um, You know, uh, your prayers and alms have come up before the Lord. He was trying to do the right thing, just trying to be a good man. And he wanted to do it for the right reasons. So God sent Peter to him. So, God will reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody. So, we don't have to worry about the, 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 the people who never hear the name of Jesus or the people who are raised in different religious cultures. Um, God is bigger than all of that. And all we have to do, Chico, is turn our heads and our hearts toward heaven. If you're up there, God, I need to know who you are. By the way, Chico, that's how I got saved when I was running away from home uh, all those years ago. um, uh, I just cried out for Paula's Jesus because I knew her Jesus was real. And um, I, I, I needed that point of desperation in my life. I needed her Jesus. So, Chico, thank you for the question. Okay, we're inside of five minutes now. Mike says, how could a just God send someone to hell for eternity when the sins committed are finite? Um, Mike, uh, your your perspective is wrong. The way you're looking at this is wrong. When we are born, Mike, we're going to live somewhere forever. We are all eternal beings. Um, The minute that, just like Jesus, when he became a a man in his incarnation, uh, a baby, Um, he then would become a human for the rest of eternity. Uh, The God-man, but 100% God and 100% man. Well, when we are born, um, we become eternal beings. We're going to live somewhere forever. We're never going to die. Now, our bodies give out, obviously. But the real us, the spirit in us, is to live forever. And in this world, we have to choose where we're going to live. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So what God does is gives us the freedom to make that choice. And then he honors the choice that we make here on earth. He honors that choice in eternity. You know, it would be unloving and unjust if God, uh, somebody says, I don't want anything to do with you. I, I hate you. Um, uh, it would be dis honest. It'd be unfair if God said, well, I don't care what you I'm going to make you live with me forever. That's not the case. Separation from God is what we call hell. Being with God forever, we call that heaven. And separation very simply means that we're going to live with the choice that we made. It is appointed in the men once to die and then face the judgment. That's uh, Hebrews 9.27. We have to make that choice while we're alive. So a just God gives everybody, Mike, a chance. Everybody gets a chance to choose. We have to live with the choice that we make. If we go to heaven, it's a great choice. If we go to hell, well, it's not a good choice. So I hope that makes sense. Amy says, and this will be the last one that we take for today. She said, can you please explain justification simply? Um, Amy, let me do it this way. I think the easiest way to explain the doctrine of justification is that when we meet Jesus, we are just as if we'd never sinned. Now, we know we've sinned. The Father knows we've sinned. But when Jesus washes away all of our sins... We are just as if we'd never sinned. We're perfect. And that's the whole idea. Justification is that way that we can approach God on the basis of what Jesus, who is perfect, has already done. He died for our sins. He took the punishment that a just God demands. The wrath of God has to be poured out on the Christ-rejecting world. Jesus took that punishment. And then the result of genuine faith in Christ is this doctrine of justification. So the minute we're saved, we're just as if we'd never sinned. All of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. One of the exciting things for me, Amy, I'm going to be teaching for the first time on Sunday. And I've taught it several times on Friday nights. But uh, for the first time to our Sunday uh, church crowd, uh, I'm going to be teaching 1 John. And um, the idea of, of justification runs all the way through that. And what John explains clearly is that once the matter of our sins is settled, once we're we're truly born again, um, we can't lose that, but we can lose contact with the Lord, or we can lose fellowship with the Lord if there's unrepentant sin in our lives. So once we're justified, and if it's genuine, if you're sincere, then we can't lose that ever, because we remain just as if we'd never sinned. For my life, Amy, that was an amazing gift, because believe me, I know Paul says he was the worst of sinners, but I had to be running a really close second. Hey, thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at four o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.